Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. I'm Lauren Sherman, the writer behind Puck's fashion and beauty memo line sheet. And I'd like to welcome you to my new show, Fashion People. On every episode of Fashion People, I'll be talking to insiders about the stuff we're all whispering between the press releases. From M&A rumors to celebrity stylist dish to the future of legacy media. Be sure to follow and listen to Fashion People, a presentation of Odyssey in partnership with Puck. Available on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Before we get started, a quick note. This episode contains discussion of sexual abuse and violence. Please take care while listening. I'm Kelly Loudenberg. This is The Beige Room, Part 3, The Chicken and the Egg. Landmark Worldwide has been around since 1991. That's when Werner Erhard sold his ideas, or technology, to former S-trainers who formed the new company. Landmark says they have offices in more than 125 cities around the world, with more than 600 employees. Its main offering is the original seminar, the Landmark Forum, which they say more than 2.4 million people have attended. But there are lots of other programs, too. There's the communication course, the advanced communication course. There are family coaching sessions, leadership training courses. There's Landmark for teens and young people. There's also an entire arm of the company dedicated just to corporate business consulting. It's called Banto Group. They list a bunch of their current and former clients online. Reebok, Heinz, Lockheed Martin, Apple, JP Morgan, Johnson & Johnson, NASA. For the last two years, Forbes has named Vanto Group one of America's best management consulting firms, which made me think a little differently about Landmark's place in American culture. In particular, its ability to blend the spiritual with the corporate, the erasure between our personal selves and our work selves. To me, it's one thing if you choose to participate in the Landmark Forum in your free time, it's another if you're being compelled by your job to go through that intense experience, however you end up feeling about it afterwards. I'd say that, like, uh, about half of the employees, like, did Landmark. This is Michelle, not her real name. It was around 2013, and she was working at a Lululemon store in Albuquerque, New Mexico. That's when she learned Landmark was central to Lululemon's company culture. Like, even if you haven't attended Landmark, there's just so much of that, like, new thought, self-helpy kind of rhetoric in the company. Your employee training is a lot of, like, visioning for your life, taking responsibility for, like, what you can create in your life and what you haven't created in your life, you know? We had five books or courses, which we had, of which everyone took in the first two, three weeks they were with the company. Lululemon's founder and former CEO, Chip Wilson, was a noted supporter of Landmark. He thought its belief system could help build a more effective workforce. This is from a recent interview he did with a website called Thought Economics. 
And out of that, we created a linguistic abstraction of 30 terms and definitions. Mm-hmm. And, and that then became the culture of the company, which allowed us to expand exponentially because now suddenly we had everyone speaking the same language. Michelle is quick to say Landmark training was not required by Lululemon, and the company has said as much as well. But there was an implicit encouragement to give it a shot. I remember they start talking about it like when you're hired as one of the benefits. After a year of employment, like you can attend this self-improvement seminar that's world famous. And, you know, I mean, it's expensive and they they pay for it, you know, so it's sold to you as a benefit. It was kind of subtle. You know, it, it definitely didn't feel like a requirement of work. It was just strongly, strongly encouraged. So Michelle agreed to go. She'd grown up in a home where New Thought churches and self-helpy language were part of the atmosphere. She felt sort of immune to it, she says. Mostly, she saw the whole thing as a free vacation. There wasn't a landmark, like, locally. Like, they would pay for you to take a trip to go take landmark. So I really went because it was like a free trip to New York to visit my friends. Once she got into the training, she did not enjoy the experience. She felt it was wild to be doing this as part of workplace training. To me, I was like, this is just so completely irresponsible. You're asking people to dredge up the most painful things that they have ever happened to them. And you're asking them to process them in like 72 hours without any real like professionals. I talked to people that were like, had had multiple suicide attempts. And this was like, they thought their, their shot at like changing and having a healthy perspective. It just seemed like very inappropriate a lot of people like clearly dealing with like trauma and a lot of very pure vulnerability going into this. And I'm just like, man, that could really fuck you up. <laughs> Michelle says that at one point, people were asked to give their contact information to the trainers. She didn't want to. And then that's when she was like, oh, you're one of those Lululemon people, aren't you? And I was like, yeah, I do. I work for Lululemon. And um, she said, like, this really creepy thing. She was like, oh, well, I'm really good friends with Chip Wilson, who was, like, you know, the founder of Lululemon. And um, she was like, yeah, me and Chip are really close. And he just loves hearing about his employees and how they do at Landmark. And I just was, like, kind of stopped in my tracks. I was a little bit like, wait, am I being paranoid? Or is this woman, like, sort of doing, like, a weird, thinly veiled threat? Michelle got her phone and called her boss back in New Mexico. So I talked to my boss and he was actually pretty supportive and just was like, yeah, it doesn't sound like this feels like a very safe space for you. And like, I have my own misgivings about Landmark. So I just think it seems like maybe the healthiest thing for you to just leave. Michelle went back, told the trainer she was ready to quit. She says after an intense one-on-one where she was questioned as to why she wasn't enjoying the process, she finally walked out. This pressure, at the end, it stuck with Michelle. For a while. I mean, it was, like, very disturbing to me, like, how much they'd gotten in my head and how, like, weird and guilty I felt about leaving. I really was like, but what if I'm, like, I think that this is just creepy and they're manipulating me and I'm leaving something that, you know, is unhealthy. But, like, what if I'm wrong? Like, what if they're right? And I'm just, like, a screwed up person that, like, can't face, you know, their deepest fears or something, you know? 
Um, I think that was that was honestly like the part that was way more disturbing for me. She still thinks about what this might have been like had she been there with other colleagues or even her boss, how she might have reacted then. When you're in an employment situation, it's not like everyone's like on equal footing power wise. So um, I think that that's just a weird thing to ask people to do. It's not just in America. In 2014, the CBC did an investigation into Alberta Health Services, AHS, the regional healthcare provider in Alberta, Canada. One manager there in the IT department had gotten the state to pay for landmark training for his staff. He proposed that if executives took this course, AHS IT would become a high-functioning organization that it would make us better employed. This is Nancy, also not her real name. She works for AHS. Back in the early 2010s, she says while nobody outright told her to do Landmark, she felt some implicit pressure to go. She said everyone who had taken the course was starting to use jargon and language she didn't recognize. She felt like in order to communicate, she needed to learn the language too. But once she got there, she did not like Landmark. It felt off to her. She remembers people needing to pick a personal issue to share with the group. One girl got up and talked about how she'd been raped and how her father never treated her the same afterwards. And the speaker said, are you sure that's what happened or is that your interpretation of what happened? When asked about a similar incident, Landmark told us, quote, we do not know the actual conversation that took place nor the context in which it happened but we would not tell someone that they were not abused. When such things are brought up, we recognize and acknowledge that they did happen, including the severity and impact of what happened, unquote. They say they take abuse of any kind extremely seriously and would direct an individual needing help to a healthcare professional. Nancy wanted to leave early, but a colleague convinced her to stay. Because she was under the same pretense that I was. We had no choice. She said, look... We'll support each other through it. We'll get through it. But you need to come back because it's going to impact your job if you don't. And I'm like, okay, so fine. So I went back on a Saturday. So at dinner time, like you're not supposed to drink or anything, but the small group of us um, decided we went to Hooters and had wings and beer because we're all just mad. And I thought, I don't really care. Nancy stayed through the program, but says she did not officially graduate. Back at the office, she was given a task from her boss. I had to make a poster that went around the office and everybody had to put it in their office, like your office cubicle, um, about ways of being, which are absolutely out of landmark. And it wasn't too long ago. Like, I've been at home, like, since COVID for the year and a half. But I remember when I was in the office about two years ago, someone still had it up in their cubicle, and I wanted to rip it off so bad. Eventually, it was revealed that public resources and property had been used for landmark training. In fact, a $70,000 contract had gone to a landmark consultant. It all ended and was made public in 2014 by two reporters at the CBC, Charles Rusnell and Jenny Russell. Nancy still works at AHS. I can't believe you're still with the company. You hung in there. You know what? I um, The reason I'm with the company is um, I 
I have MS, and the reason I stay is because it's about the most security I could get. And and if my MS became became really bad, I would have some sort of medical to fall back on. And that's the only reason I stayed. Landmark, for its part, has said it would not condone anyone being pressured to attend its seminars. But hearing these stories and thinking about all the times I've heard bosses talk about corporate culture and setting personal intentions at a job, it all just felt bizarrely familiar and pervasive. Landmark prefers to distance itself from the confrontational personal breakthroughs of Est in the 1970s. But now, the breakthroughs seem to be often in service of something slightly different. Leadership, authenticity, communication, all in the workplace. Looking at corporate America, I started to see what felt like landmarky slogans and self-help ideas everywhere, even if nobody was actually mentioning the names Landmark or Werner Erhard. Why are the ideas behind Landmark so appealing? Who is benefiting most from people focusing on personal responsibility? That's after the break. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. And I want to tell you about a podcast I think you're going to love. Who Weekly is a podcast about everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Does celebrity news stress you out? Are there too many people you've literally never heard of? Check out Who Weekly, a podcast hosted by Lindsay Weber and me, Bobby Finger. Each episode goes deep into the biggest who celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we'll answer the most burning listener queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly on the Odyssey app or wherever else you get your podcasts. I'm Shimon Yai, and I have a new podcast called The Competition. Every year, 50 high school senior girls compete in a massive scholarship competition. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. All of the competitors are used to being the best and the brightest, and they're all vying for a huge cash prize. This will probably be the most intense that you've ever gone through in your life. I remember that feeling because I was one of them. I lost. But now, I'm coming back as a judge and also a kind of teen girl anthropologist. Because if you want to understand what it's like to be a young woman in America today, the competition's not a bad place to start. Hopefully, no one will die on station night. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. For much of the late 90s and early 2000s, Werner Erhard was leading exclusive private seminars and closed-door corporate consulting. And in that time, America saw plenty of self-help and motivational gurus. People like Tony Robbins. All of you have targets, things that you're after. If you're going to get a new result, if you're going to grow your business, if you're going to be able to support your mom, if you're going to get rid of the anxiety, you're going to have to get new action. We all know that. You don't get new results with old actions doing the same thing. Simon Sinek. And that's when I realized that there's two ways to see the world. Some people see the thing that they want, and some people see the thing that prevents them from getting the thing that they want. I could only see the bagels. He could only see the line. Gary Vaynerchuk. 
When you actually realize everything's your fault, it gets really good out here. Because when you think your boss's boss controls your shit, when you think somebody down the street in a building controls your shit, then you get real sad because you feel helpless. When you realize you control your shit, things fucking go. People often explicitly teaching not just how to transform yourself, but how to transform your business. Perhaps because he was entering his golden years, by the 2010s, an 80-year-old Werner Erhard seemed to be reaching for something much larger, to carve out a lasting place in the pantheon of big thinkers. And he started appearing in the headlines again. Yeah, there are certain things that I think you have to be willing to be responsible for when you step into people's lives. This sudden shift back into the limelight was heralded by a glowing New York Times profile that appeared in 2015 titled, The Return of Werner Erhard, Father of Self-Help. The piece cited the work Erhard was doing with an economist at Harvard Business School and lectures he was giving at other institutions. Okay, Werner told me he likes uh, tortilla chips. (laughs) So, so. That's right, I did say. So, how many people came to see Werner? That's Dr. James R. Doty, professor of neurosurgery at Stanford University School of Medicine and founder and director of Stanford University's Center for Compassion and Altruism Research and Education, CCARE. He's introducing Werner Erhard as guest speaker at an event at the university in 2017. What is it to be I really? Or what is it to be a self? And, you know, one of the things that got loosened in that experience coming across the Golden Gate was the importance of I and the centrality of me. Dr. Doty's program also has relationships with Archbishop Desmond Tutu, Thich Nhat Hanh, and the Dalai Lama. But on that evening in 2017, the huge crowd turnout was there for Werner. At age 82, he had lost none of his fierce charisma. Here's one of the things that helps me a lot. It's all made up anyhow. (laughs) It's interpretation all the way down. After nearly two hours, the audience wanted more. I want to also thank Werner for coming tonight, his friendship and the incredible work that he's done. I'd like to give him just an incredible... Yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, okay. In 2019, an academic textbook appeared called Speaking Being, Werner Erhard, Martin Heidegger, and a New Possibility of Being Human. It positioned Werner's philosophy in conversation with Heidegger, Descartes, and others. Fun fact, one of the authors of that book played Lieutenant Kevin Riley in the original Star Trek series. In November of 2019, Shortly before the world shut down due to the coronavirus pandemic, Erhard did his last public-facing seminar at the Ritz-Carlton Cancun in Mexico, an eight-day program for several thousand dollars a person. It was hosted for a nonprofit called Being a Leader. Erhard donated a lecture he delivered remotely for an audience of reportedly 160 participants from 28 different countries. As I watched all of this happen, I kept asking myself, why? 
Why would business schools and corporations be so open to the ideas of someone with so much controversy in their past? And that's when it clicked for me. Recently, I was strolling past a cafe in Los Angeles, Cafe Gratitude. It was a Saturday, and I saw a sidewalk sign that asked, in cute, handwritten chalk, Whom do you think creates your experience of life? And I could feel the heat rising to my head. All of this modern obsession with company culture, workplace authenticity, personal responsibility, making employees feel like owners, it can feel like a way to pass the buck on to all of us. Take responsibility for the company, the bosses say. Are you unhappy here? That's just your interpretation, your story. Maybe you've actually got it pretty good. Be grateful. Use a meditation app. Go for a jog. The notion that we create our own realities is appealing to so many, but it may be a hollow promise to all but the most privileged. People lose their homes, or lose their jobs, or lose a loved one. They face illness, poverty, violence, injustice, and abuse. Those things happen, no matter what story you tell yourself. As I was walking past that cafe, I noticed some of the items on the menu. The I am happy pulled mushroom sandwich, or the I am fortified summer vegetable bowl. And people's observations of Landmark came flooding back to me about how Landmark and Est and Werner Erhard's philosophies have become deeply woven into modern life. There was Nikki Meredith, Bay Area journalist who wrote about Erhard in the 90s. This enrages me more than anything. When these groups say something like this, I feel you have to be so out of touch with most of the world to believe that and the hardships that people face and suffer. That, And for a bunch of affluent Marin County people to talk about if you're hungry or if you're impoverished, you've brought it on yourself. I don't care if they can back up and say at this point you could have chosen this instead of that. It's just absurd. There was Amy Sari, the former participant. They just get to have their enlightenments on their own, in private, you know, and to have it be these beautiful stories for other people to listen to. But the rest of us, no. We have to spend hundreds of dollars, sit in a beige room with a chair, using, you know, what is now known as attack therapy, that has you question, you know, very, very fundamental things about who you are in relation to the universe. That hurts. That's the point. It can't happen for in our system, in a rich poor system. There's a few winners at the top and a lot of losers at the bottom. And Fred Gardner investigative journalist and temporary private eye. The est message was if you approach the world, your life with the right attitude, you can make it. You can be a success. But statistically, it's a lie. You can't. I got to tell you, I think that their influence has been vastly underrated. It's just they won. Find your own space, um, play the game with the hand you were dealt, don't complain, don't be bitter, don't be angry, think positive, don't be negative. You know, that's Est. I don't think Est and Landmark are responsible for all the overlapping crises we find ourselves in now. But they evolved and thrived 
right alongside them, chicken and egg, and often in service to the most powerful in business and society. Maybe Est, Landmark, and Earhart tapped into a powerful current in the American psyche that has always been there, the rugged, individualist ethos, the ever-reinventing man. And maybe they expertly and sleekly repackaged it at just the right time to ascend along with the era of hypercapitalism and quote-unquote market solutions. Why wouldn't a corporation embrace this philosophy that makes their employees feel powerful even when they may actually have no power? That makes people feel responsible for why we can't make our lives work inside a system that is broken. Researching the long and winding history of Landmark and the zeitgeisty genius of Werner Erhard's philosophy at times made me sad, and at times it made me mad. But in the end, it also gave me some clarity. Looking at an entity like Landmark and the way its DNA is part and parcel of so much of mainstream business and pop culture today helped me see it clearly at last. The beige room is everywhere, and maybe the first step to escaping it is to simply notice it, to pay attention, maybe even rewrite the narrative you're being sold. In the end, we're all each other's responsibility. That's the narrative that matters to me. The Beige Room is reported and produced by me, Kelly Loudenberg, Samantha Culp, and Eric Minnell. Production and research help from Arlena Revelo, Darby Maloney, Janelle Pfeiffer, Chloe Persinos, and Kristen Torres. Editing by Leela Day, Joel Lovell, and Darby Maloney. Original music by Jack Long. Mixing by Davy Sumner. Episode art by Jonathan Conda. Visuals and marketing by Grace Chen, Mora Curran, and Hadim Dang. Fact-checking by Francis Carr. Research support by Makiko Holy and Rob Bain. Legal support from Katie Ali Mohammadi at Donaldson Caliph Perez. Legal services for Pineapple Street by Bianca Grimshaw at Granderson De Rocher. The executive producers at Pineapple Street are Max Linsky and Jenna Weiss-Berman. If you'd like to share your experience with Landmark or Est, you can get in touch with us securely via email at the beige room at protonmail.com or by signal at the number 213-306-6172. Again, 213-306-6172. The 11th will be back next month with something new and entirely different. Thanks for listening. <laughs>